Good morning. Today is Tuesday, October 4th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church here in Laverne, Minnesota. Thank you for listening and gathering around God's Word with us this morning. Whether you're tuning in over the air, streaming online, or you download the show as a podcast, I'm glad you're here. Settle in, open your hearts and your minds. We're about to begin. As always, at the top of the show, I'd like to give a shout out to our sponsor. Thy Strong Word is underwritten graciously by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. LHF translates, publishes, and distributes books that are Bible-based, Christ-centered, and Reformation-driven. Go online, visit them at lhfmissions.org, learn more about all the things they're doing for the kingdom. And while you're online, email me with your comments or questions about today's show or really anything you want to say. My email is pastorboo at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. Every Friday, I begin the show by pulling from the old listener email bag, so tune in to that to see if your comments are featured. This morning, we take up the remainder of chapter 12, verses 12 through 31. In the first part of this chapter, the apostle had already introduced the concepts that spiritual gifts are all from the one and same God through the Holy Spirit. He urges the Corinthian Christians not to pride themselves on their particular gifts, but to use those gifts in service to one another. Now he turns to one of his favorite analogies, the body. Using members of a body as an illustration wouldn't have been unheard of even in Greco-Roman debates. It was a common image used to really put different classes of people in their place. They would suggest that one body part was more important than the other, and so keep people in line. But here, St. Paul turns the tables and uses it in a new godly way. Well, to help us turn the tables and put the pieces together, I'm pleased to welcome as my guest, the Reverend Adam DeGrote, pastor of Calvary Lutheran Church in Rio Rancho, New Mexico. Pastor DeGrote, good morning and welcome to Thy Strong Word. It's good to be with you, Pastor Boo. How are things going in uh, Rio Rancho, New Mexico and at Calvary Lutheran? You know, What kind of things is God doing through your ministry there? Well, he's uh, he's seen fit. I think there's a bit of a bit of a, a groundswell of change. We saw earlier in the Rocky Mountain District a, a pretty big change in our our board of directors, a very young uh, board of directors, and that seems to have uh, flowed south to uh, Calvary. We have a brand new, basically a brand new council, and and a lot of very young members of our council um, with a lot of really good ideas, uh, specifically with regard to our youth and, and uh, outreach to the to the community, considering some things like uh, campus outreach and um, that sort of stuff. The youth group is, uh, is, is alive and uh, well and thriving. We're uh, to two Bible studies a week in the book of Jeremiah and the book of Revelation on Sundays. And uh, our confirmation and, and uh, Sunday school has begun again in, in earnest, and, and everyone's doing pretty well. We've, we, we've uh, <clears throat> had a great amount of blessings over the last two years, especially where uh, people have been uh, very faithful in their attendance, and, and um, I'm very thankful uh, that that's been the case, that uh, the people have been coming to uh, receive the peace that passes understanding and, and is uh, 
and, and know exactly where they can find that piece on a, on a, on a weekly basis. So um, things are going very well down here. Um, still a little hot, 81 degrees today. It's a little different than it is up for folks up in the north, I, I imagine. Um, but uh, we're, uh, the, the fall is in the air for sure, and um, we're, uh, we're getting ready for that as well. Yeah, it's pretty chilly here. You know, once October hits, we have the uh, temperatures start to drop a little bit and fall definitely makes itself known. But of course, I'm in Minnesota, so you can't complain because it's always going to get colder. Now, I was going to ask you what the weather was like there in Rio Rancho. I have never been to New Mexico, but I, I kind of imagine it as sort of a desert place. Is that is that accurate? Is there a lot of trees there? Well, there's a, it's a, it's a high desert. And, and if you, if the listeners are curious, so they could sort of Google that it's not necessarily worth explaining, but yeah, there's a little sand. I went for a bike ride today and I realized I needed fatter tires on my mountain bike, but, um, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice place to be outside. And, and there's a lot of, uh, a lot of wonderful opportunities, you know, mountain, mountain biking and climbing and that sort of stuff. And the next week, um, starting on Sunday is, uh, <clears throat> the Albuquerque international balloon festival. So that's a pretty big, pretty big deal. It's a worldwide, uh, hot air balloon festival that'll start and will run for about two weeks. So, um, we're, uh, we're enjoying having, uh, that it'll be about 500 to 600 hot air balloons all in the air all at the same time. So it's wow. quite a sight to behold. So it's, uh, it's a good time to be down here. So if anybody ever wants to come and, uh, and, uh, spend some time here, Calvary, Divine services are uh, Sunday mornings at nine o'clock and please come to visit us. Uh, come, come to visit, visit us in Rio Rancho. Excellent. Wonderful. We're here today to discuss God's word, especially St. Paul's passage on one body with many members. Before we dig into that though, I'd like to invite you to begin our time together in prayer. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, Heavenly Father, you've caused all of your holy scriptures to be written for our benefit. So be with Pastor Boo and me today as we uh, dive into your wonderful text that is given to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to guide us, that we may rightly discern law and gospel, that we may rightly discern the word of truth, that all who hear may be edified in your life-saving gospel, that they may know through all things that the gifts that you give to them are bestowed by you, and that you continue to tend to them to with all of us as we uh, are together as the body of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, before I re start reading the text, is there any foundation that you want to lay before we uh, dig in? Well, I think it's, you know, I mean, and I'm not sure exactly, you know, sort of the, the, the continuation of what, what you all have talked about concerning 1 Corinthians 12. You had talked a little bit about that in the beginning, but I think the big thing here is that of, while the Corinthians <clears throat> were were definitely a congregation in the early church, one of the things to remember is that, you know, wherever you happen to be in the United States, Laverne, Minnesota, or Rio Rancho, New Mexico, or, or Timbuktu, that, um, that the things that the Corinthians were facing as an infant congregation, the temptations and the things that they were seeing within their society, uh, temptations to idolatry, are, are still very much the same as what they are today. And so to that, Paul is, is uh, giving a word of, of admonishment in many ways, uh, of saying that we remember that these gifts are, are, are exactly that, gifts given to us. And they're given for the edification and the upbuilding of, of those who are around us in the body of Christ. Uh, we've been brought into that body by baptism. 
and um, they're to be shared with one another. Um, and I think, you know, as you were talking about, you know, the Corinthians and their bit of a bit of orneriness, I, I kind of often think maybe I'm just the toenail of the body, but either way, um, whatever body or part of the body I happen to be, it is uh, my gracious Lord who has given me this gift um, to bestow unto uh, my neighbors and to those who are in the body as well. So I think it's a, it's a great text in the sense of, 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 of being able to bring things into perspective, um, that it is Christ who has knit us together, uh, it is Christ who strengthens us, and it is Christ who, who is with us uh, as we uh, go out into the world amongst our, our friends and neighbors, but also as we're together in the body of Christ. Yeah, it is a fascinating text. In addition to understanding the background where this metaphor of the body, uh, in some place I read, that it would be used by, say, the statesman, you know, Roman statesmen, the Greek people who are in charge, and they would go out and they would start appealing to the body as a metaphor, but they wouldn't do it to emphasize the importance of each part of the body. They would do it to indicate that certain parts were more important than others. Yeah. So it's fascinating to see Paul takes this image, which he uses time and again throughout his writings. Um, in Galatians, for instance, he says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put unto Christ, there's no, there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor fee, no male nor female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. This imagery of being baptized together into this one body is a motif that he brings up a lot. And so I think, yeah, the, the next thing to do is for us just to dig right into the word. I'm going to read verses 12 through 20, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Lots of themes here, unity, uh, baptism in the Spirit, uh, you know, equality before God in terms of being neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, something else that he's brought up elsewhere. Just lots to Lots to cover. Pastor, just take it away. Let's get us started. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, once again, just thinking about sort of the context of what's going on. And here are the, here are the, the people in the Church of Corinth who are, are, who are seeing, you know, any number of other religious bodies, any number of different gods, any number of different, um, um, you know, promises that are, 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 are being bestowed in, 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 into them. Um, and, and the beauty of it is, is that, you know, here they are, um, no doubt, tempted in, in many different ways. Um, Paul will address this, and I think this particular section is, is, is first and foremost to address um, in totality the, 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 the church at Corinth. And, and the church then, secondly, the church at Corinth within Corinth. Um, who are we and, and what do we do? And, and what is 
sort of our place in in this particular spot. And I think, like you said, Pastor Boo, in the sense that okay, you know, here that those those words that you used, I think we, you know, for for the listeners to think about what what we are hearing in our modern day is no different than what the people, like I said before, would be hearing in Corinth is these. This language of of equity, of of inclusion, of 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 um, you know um, that are often you know thought of as political words, but I think the beauty of it is for us as Christians is to say, no, Paul is addressing this and saying, well, these are not these words can be used politically. Of course, they can um, in many different ways. But for you who have been set apart, set apart most specifically by Christ, who has come and found you. Um, and has bestowed to you this most gracious gift um, of forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation uh, in holy baptism. But not just that; he's giving you the he's giving you the Holy Spirit, and it's exactly what you know we started with this uh, this Bible study with is we're 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 asking that the Holy Spirit would come because as we understand as as Lutherans especially the third article of the Creed and the explanation is probably one of my my favorite ones because in essence it says I believe I can't believe <laughs> and and, right. and and Paul is Paul is articulating this is he saying okay for you maybe and then the the other part here is he's admonishing them too he's saying okay uh, think of yourself as knit into knit into a body um, that you had no say in necessarily you were knit into this grafted into this simply by as a gift of, of what God has done for you and to each one of you individually, and that's the beauty of what Paul says in the first, chap- first chapter from my recollection, is he's saying that none of you are lacking in any gift. So you will have everything you need for your body, everything you need for your belly, everything you need for your life, but you also have everything that you need uh, provided for you within this church, which at the time, of course, was fledgling. It was very young. Christianity was a new religion. Um, it was, uh, for lack of a better word, one of many uh, that existed at the same time um, with uh, alongside of many other religions in Corinth. So um, just bit by bit, um, how Paul addresses this first and foremost to his hearers is the, one emphasizing you are not set apart necessarily in the sense of being separated or alone. You're knit into this. You have been collected into, grafted into inseparably. And this is one of the things that Christ has done. And so this idea of, of a body, um, you know, what a wonderful thing. I mean, our Lord uses, you know, so many different parables in, in the Gospels to, to make what would otherwise be, a, you know, how do you say, a very profound point, very simple. But even in sim- simply proclaiming it, we find oftentimes, and this is the case for Jesus, that people end up more confused than, 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 uh, than, than things are clarified. Yet, for those who have been given ears to hear, and I think the same is the case here for Paul, is that all of you can understand what this is. Um, you wouldn't look at your foot and say that the foot is not necessary. You wouldn't look at your elbow or your toenail or whatever it happens to be and say that it's not necessary. And the beauty of it is, is that you begin to see how I, I think, you know, in, inclusive is maybe not the best word. It's a modern word we're using. But I think better yet, how loving Christ is. To all, Christ has come and bestowed the gifts that are the most needful. And to you, dear Corinthian Christians, to you, dear Christians who are listening today, you have been knit into something that is far beyond what you can even imagine. And what a wonderful thing, what a, what a wonderful imagery that Paul puts forward uh, before the Corinthians, of course, but also to us today. So 
there's you know there's a lot of other things we could we could dive into, but um, I think you know it's sufficient to to begin to make a beginning. You know, we look into what they were experiencing, and you mentioned all the different religions around them. Most of those religions were about uh, achieving, like self achievement. You know, you would use the gods, or you would use the spirits, or you would access the oracles, or you would participate with the temple prostitutes, mm-hmm. and all of the acts of worship, regardless of how uh, profane or or you know esoteric they were, were all to try to get something for yourself to try to win favor of the gods, to get your crops to grow, to get your business to thrive. Everything was very selfish-based. And while I think outsiders sometimes look at Christianity and think, oh, well, everybody's just in it to try to get into heaven, that's not the way that the Bible talks about our faith. And so if you have these Corinthian Christians who are looking out on the landscape, some of them have come from these pagan backgrounds, and now they're all excited about trying to get these spiritual gifts, and they want the the really the really vivid spiritual gifts, like speaking in tongues. And and Paul says, "Look, all the gifts are from the same Spirit. That's how he began this chapter. It's all from the same God. So you aren't any better off or special than another because of the gifts you've been given. As you, Pastor, said, you know these are all uh, you, you're given everything you need. That's not an issue." And then he takes this image of the body and says, you know, you're actually part of one another. Christianity or your faith, dear Christians, dear Corinthian Christians, or and as, as you said, Christians living at home, uh, are listening at home. It isn't about just trying to get something for yourself. It's not a me and Jesus thing. This is about serving one another. And that's where this image of the body works so well together because there are people who don't have hands. There are people who don't have feet, and they'll be the first to tell you this clearly is a disability. It's something that causes them not to be able to operate in the way that God designed them, and it makes life difficult. That's why we help and pray for people who are in those circumstances. But when it comes to metaphorically the body of a church, it's no different. We want people to be in worship with us. We want people to join our congregation, not because, you know, the, the the pastor gets paid more because there's more people in the pews or not because of any other reason besides the fact that the church is better off when we're all together. And of course, God desires all to be saved, and that's where we get his gifts. Right. Yeah. And it's and, and, and there's there's a number of things that you had mentioned there that are are are, are wonderful. Um, you know, the, the, the gifts that Paul's talking about, I mean, yes, of course they are each given individually forgiveness of sins, et cetera. So on, I mean, it's, you know, the, the, um, you know, life and salvation is, is bestowed by the blood of, uh, the blood of Jesus, of course. I mean, he does desire, but Paul also, also, I think is very articulate in, in, in saying, okay, these gifts are not, are not primarily for your own self-promotion or your own self-aggrandizement. And the reason and the, the way that Paul is, I think, able to make that make that clear is that, you know, I, I think about it from a personal perspective is that, you know, why do I seek self-fulfillment or self-aggrandizement? And I think the answer for me personally is because I'm in violation of the first commandment. I don't trust, I don't trust God. I want some other God, I think, to to fulfill what I think God is is not giving me. Um, and so, you know, so I can sort of keep my, my, my head straight here too, because there's a lot of thoughts that are coming to my mind. Paul says, no, the importance here is not the gifts. 
the importance is the giver, the giver of those gifts. And what that giver of those gifts have done has done is he has knit you, all of you, into the same body so that you would be the first, you would bear or receive the first fruits of these gifts, of course. But having received the first fruits of these gifts, having been given and bearing the image of Christ, now you go and share these gifts, knowing that it's not about self-fulfillment or self-aggrandizement, but that self-aggrandizement, we don't need self-aggrandizement. Christ has already aggrandized us, so to speak. He has made mm-hmm. us sons of God. He has made us forgiven sinners. And that that's, that's the beautiful point, I think, that Paul is saying, is that the emphasis is not so much on the gifts as it is the giver of those gifts. And I think that's such an amazing thing that we see here that Paul, once again, Paul's saying is that, okay, you are using them, Corinthians. And, and for those of you at home, we certainly, I certainly can be tempted to use my own gifts thinking that, gosh, you know, as you said, Pastor Boo, is that, you know, I still in my mind wrestle with the fact that if there's, you know, 50 more people in church this Sunday uh, than there were last then I start to think in a very idolatrous way that, well, gosh, that means more money for me. Well, <laughs> that's a really awful way to look at the pastoral <laughs> ministry, course. right? Is right. I'm given by the grace of God to be simply one who has the gift, you know, as Paul will talk about it in terms of discernment or of teaching. And that discernment of teaching is just simply, I and what comes with that is tremendous responsibility. Um, Ezekiel is, is, is very fond of this, is, you know, he understands the great the great weight that comes in properly dividing the word of truth so that the hearers can understand that proper distinction between the law and the gospel. And so that the people who have heard this can go out and we live, you know, I mean, what's different, I think, and you and I were talking about this before the the show began, is what was, what I think is different between Corinth and, and in our modern day is things happen so quickly so quickly things change in terms of politics things change in terms of our economy things change in terms of our life events etc so on uh, our kids are going to school they're being bombarded with all sorts of different things and i tell my catechism kids this all the time is they they'll ask me why do i need to memorize the catechism and i'll i'll say simply because you're going to receive a question no doubt wherein you will it will be expected that you will have an answer and you will have an answer ready and not only that, but we also live in a very fast world in the sense that we all want answers quickly. We want the answers now. And so Paul is saying here to the Corinthians, as much as he says to us, what we have to give to those who are out there is that I have been knit as, you know, if I'm the hand, so to speak, you know, it's kind of like the, the the movie, The Adams Family with the, what's the hand that runs around all over the place, you know? As, oh, is that Thing? <laughs> yeah, right, I think thing. it's Thing. You know, we, we, I wasn't even Thing. I wasn't able to move around. I was dead. And what Christ right. has done is he has taken me dead in my sin and he has grafted me so inseparably into this body and given me life again. So he's taken what's dead and made it alive. And then in being given life, we are there to give life to those who are around us. And as a result, sort of secondarily, those who are around us in Rio Rancho and Laverne and all around in, in our various communities in the United States. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Well, let's talk for just a second about how God brings us into this body. I mean, it's not too far down and it's not the focus of this text, but he does mention in verse 13, for in one spirit, 
we were all baptized into one body. Through that baptism, he brings up this idea of equality or, you know, and you mentioned earlier some of the new political terms like diversity and equity. Uh, Equality can also be used in these strange ways. And this is a passage about diversity in the most technical sense, you know, just different parts coming together. It's about equality in Christ. And I thought it was really important that you brought that up because people need to understand that one of the tactics of the world is to take words and change what they ordinarily mean into something that they don't mean, but it, it fools you. Yep. Like someone who might say we're saved by grace, but then what they really mean is God through his grace gives us the ability to do good works to earn his favor. Mm-hmm. And so it ends up being the opposite of what that is. It is. So yeah, baptism is the means through which God uh, makes us equal before him or and, brings us into the faith. And it's God's work. It's not some sort of inherent equality that is natural to our natures, if you understand what I'm saying. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and what a wonderful analogy and what a word of comfort that is. Because you mentioned this before, Pastor Boo, is that, okay, what were these false religions teaching? That you served the gods and the gods compensated you. And then in, right. similarly, the, the Corinthian Christians were just as tempted to think, well, because I can prophesy or because I speak in tongues that God is more pleased with me um, as a result of that. And, and both cut the same way. And so Paul is saying here, well, no, listen, <laughs> it's not a matter that you've done anything. You've not done anything at all. And this goes back to the analogy that we used with Cousin It, um, is he has taken us dead, dead sinners, and grafted us into him that has given life. But then Paul then says, where, how, what are the means by which this happens? And the beauty of this is, is that Paul is saying, and Christ has given you everything. There is nothing left. There is no gift that you lack, and that has all been given to you freely by Christ. He is the one that has done all the work, and he's done it to bestow it to you. Where? Verse 13 addresses that, most specifically in in baptism. And that's the beauty, I think, for us as Lutherans especially, Um, and even for those that that are adults and haven't been baptized, is we, we baptize infants in so many ways because precisely they can do nothing. They can do nothing, but it is the faith of parents. It is the faith of grandparents. It is the faith of, of the church that carries this beloved child to the very font of our Lord to have the, the, the gifts of God poured out abundantly upon this child and with it the kingdom of heaven, forgiveness of sins, life and salvation, the Holy Spirit, never mind all the other gifts that these young children will have as they grow within the Christian church. And that's the other beautiful thing about the baptismal rite that we have in in Lutheranism is that that's the purpose of sponsors is to make sure that these children continually are fed to continually uh, to be given forgiveness. And then to make sure that these children are finding their place at home, most specifically in the house of God to be given life and salvation continually. Well, the break has come upon us. So we're just going to take a few moments and listen to these messages Dear listener, don't go anywhere. When we return, Pastor DeGroat and I will continue our discussion of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, Next, we're going to talk a little bit about the diversity in the body, and we're also going to talk about the different vocations within the church. We will see you on the other side. 
On America's college campuses, doors are open to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. The number of international students studying at American schools has more than quadrupled over the past decade. For many of these young men and women, it's their first time living in a free society where they can ask questions about Christianity. You can help answer their questions. Go to lhfmissions.org and partner with the Lutheran Heritage Foundation to translate good Lutheran books into languages these students can read and understand. lhfmissions.org Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend Adam DeGroote, pastor of Calvary Lutheran Church in Rio Rancho, New Mexico. Well, pastor, before the break, we were just getting into the text where we were coming to the idea of the diversity that exists within the differing members of the body. That is, there are many different parts. The eye is not interchangeable with the ears, is not interchangeable with the with anything else, uh, but they all form the one body. Uh, to get us into that, I'd like to read the rest of our text today. That's going to be verses 21 through 31. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts? and I will show you a still more excellent way. Wow, we have a lot to cover still. <laughs> but he starts talking about these different parts of the body, weak or indispensable and that sort of thing. But I think the overarching theme here is that not everybody is the same. So there is an equality in terms of our position before Christ, and that is without him, we're all equally damned, and only through him do we have equal access to the Father. And when it comes to diversity, it really indicates that we're not all equal, but in a good way. We have all of these differing gifts that some the world might see as better than others or more honorable than others, yet they all, when in the Christian context, are valuable to the body. You know, we, I think of the stereotypical example, at least a stereotypical in my mind, of like the, the chief surgeon at a hospital versus say, the people who are the custodians. And and the world looks and says, oh, that chief surgeon, you know, we're going to pay him $600,000 a year and the custodians making $28,000 a year. And, uh, you know, it's like one is more valuable than the other. And the reality is, uh, what would happen if all the custodians didn't show up to work anymore? <laughs> you couldn't be doing any surgeries, that's for sure. That's correct. And But at the same time, you can't have a hospital with just custodians. 
So all of these are valuable. And yes, the world does look at different vocations and sees them on different levels of honorability. Um, although I got to say, I lean towards hardworking folks as being extremely honorable, but unfortunately the world doesn't always see it that way. Right, right. But but the Christian church, it, it really brought about, and of course it, it, it would be earth shattering because it's from God, but it brought about a new way of thinking about the body or people in our society. Yeah, I know. And I, and I, like you said, I mean, you know, the, the great thing about, I mean, true diversity, I mean, as, as, especially as we understand it, biblically speaking is, is diversity is, is, is something that our Lord has given. And, and, and the psalmist talks about this. I mean, we, we are all fearfully and wonderfully made and we're, we're made in the image of God, um, all of us individually. Um, and that's a wonderful thing. But then, you know, the other thing you were saying, Pastor Boo, with regard to your analogy of the hospital workers is that, um, I think in some ways it begins to reveal, it, it ought to, it ought to reveal to us who it is that we really say is our God in this world. Because notice in the, in the, 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 the numbers, the amounts that you gave, give us an indication that 600,000 is far preferable to 28,000. But then we have to, I think, in some ways start to look at that and realize or have it exposed in its truest sense that our true, our true God in that particular sense is, is money in many ways where like you said and paul bringing it now into the analogy that paul's saying is that okay you are valuable because you're a part of the body that's the reason you have value you're valuable because you who were dead have been brought into this body and given life by jesus and the gifts that are given to you may very well be monetized very differently um, but in many ways, that's 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 the ways of the world that have 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 given them different values. It's not to say then, in the eyes of our Lord, that um, you know, for example, and we'll get to this once we get to the gifts, um, and maybe we do that now, is to say, okay, Paul does actually set up uh, a distinction, uh, a distinction. He says, well, there's there's primary gifts. There's there's apostles first, primarily those who are given. Uh, specifically, but the wonderful thing too, and this is you and I, I think should talk about it maybe a little bit more is that my reading of this uh, particular chapter is to say, okay, the apostles were, were very unique to the, to the, to the first century church. They were ones who were witnesses of the resurrection. Um, and so not all who were there um, in the Corinthian church were witnesses of the resurrection. And I would say even for you and me as pastors um, ordained, uh, ordained, we were not witnesses to the resurrection in the ways that the apostles were um, in the first century. And that's why, you know, the third part with regard to teachers is so important. Um, prophets, um, you know, in the, in the Old Testament, of course, the, the prophets were given divine revelation. They were given an appointment uh, to speak of, of things that were to come, that were to pass. Um, but the beauty of it is, whether it was Isaiah or Jeremiah or Micah or any of the prophets, all that they had to speak was, in reality, what God had spoken to them. So, you know, it's Jeremiah, you know, Micah and, and the rest that, that maybe get the name that, that's put with that. But we have to remember what Paul's making the point of here. But who gave the prophecy to these prophets? It's the source. Jesus is the source. Yahweh is the source in the Old Testament. And he gives this, this word to them. But then this third part of teachers is to say, okay, um, well, there are certain individuals that have been given to, to, to teach and to rightly discern, to, to, to rightly divide the word of truth. And that's where we would see in our own modern day where pastors would come in, um, uh, I would say, um, in some ways, not necessarily according to a divine call, 
but teachers within our schools, deaconesses and, 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 and servants within the church as well, who are given to teach and to rightly discern this word of truth that's given to us here too, is, is you know, we're kind of jumping a little bit to the end, but I think, you know, that allows us in some ways to go back over those verses from 21 to 27 that really sort of sets us up for that. Well, right. They were jockeying to say, well, we have the better gift or we have the better role. And I think we still see that in the church today, which is not the way that God has designed things. Right. I One of the things now, again, before the we went on air, you and I were talking about some of our backgrounds. So for me, I'm not a lifelong Lutheran. Those who have listened to this show for the uh, two months that I've been on uh, have been made very familiar with that because I like to tell stories from my my previous experiences in various faith traditions. But I can tell you that one of the most beautiful, I guess, reckonings that I came to after, you know, coming to the Lutheran faith, uh, the Lutheran understanding of the Christian faith, was this doctrine of vocation. You know, it took me literally out of the worldly way of thinking about the value of what you what you do either for your church or for, you know, your school or for your job, you know, you, when you start seeing it the way Paul lays it out here, that yes, there are, there seems to be, you know, these superior parts of the body and these so-called lesser parts of the body. And that's always going to sort of exist, but they're so indispensable to one another. And if you add that to the idea of our world where, you know, the only reason why people who perhaps are wealthy, you know, you talked about money being a, a measuring unit. Yeah, I just defaulted to that as a measuring unit because mm-hmm. that's what the world does. Mm-hmm. Um, the only reason people can with money live, say, in luxury is because there are people without it working very hard to make that happen. Yep. And it's it's the sin comes in really when you don't honor and acknowledge the fact that that's a reality. Yeah. There's no sin in being wealthy. There's no sin in in having to work really hard for your living. There is sin in not recognizing that we as Christians have different – or actually as human beings have different skills and different abilities, and we must put those as Christians to work for one another and in the service of God, both outside the congregation and within it. And it's and that's, and Pastor Boo, you bring up a very good point because, I mean, you know, the, the idea – and similarly, you and I, were, like you said, we were talking – I was not a Lutheran either in, in growing up. And this understanding of vocation is, is a wonderful thing. But then two things. And I, when I was a missionary in Philadelphia, what I, what I heard from a, a woman who was in the inner city is that, you know, we poor people can be as greedy as the rich are. Don't ever let us forget that, Pastor. I was, uh, call, count me surprised, Pastor Boo, to hear somebody be able to articulate that, but it made it, made it a perspective. And then the other thing too, and it goes back to, I think what you're talking about with vocation and ultimately what Paul's saying here is that if I'm the foot, so to speak, if I'm just simply um, one who is, is a Sunday school teacher um, or the custodian of the church, whatever it happens to be. And, and, and I, I aspire to be in a position other than what, where I have been given. Um, and this goes back to what, what this is where, how the text ends is that Paul does speak of coveting, <laughs> strangely so. <laughs> um, he says, covet the best gifts in verse 31. But we also know that we all we can be given over to covet gifts that God has not given to us. And then here's the strange thing. 
if and I, I've had to deal with this practically, and no doubt every Christian has had to deal with this. With this, is you know, for example, I had thought and considered a number of years ago about possibly going back to school to study for a doctoral degree. Um, now that's a great aspiration. There's no covetousness. There's no sin in doing so. However, I'm also a husband, and I'm also a father. And I started to realize as I discerned, prayed, and talked to my wife concerning this, that me aspiring to that particular position would take away my opportunity to be a husband and to be a father to the level that I thought was necessary for my family. And that's the beautiful freedom we have within these vocations. And I think Paul's articulating that very thing is that for the custodian, using it once again, the analogy of the custodian and the surgeon, the custodian shows up each day with tremendous responsibilities. However, he does not have the responsibility of making sure that one makes it into and out of surgery alive. But the doctor who has been trained to make sure that individuals go into and come out alive has been given that responsibility. And that's where we begin to see the distinction, I think, of greatest. is not greatest in terms of stature, but greatest in terms of the fact that this particular person has been given training which is to see to most specifically and acutely the life of a Christian or the life of the person who comes in for the surgery. Whereas uh, the custodian in many ways is set free without the responsibility of thinking. Um, now, I mean, if he doesn't set out the wet floor sign, he may have other problems, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but I digress is to say this distinction of greatest is not necessarily in terms of, of, of how do you say, preeminence in terms of the kingdom of heaven. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. All of us have been knit into this body. All of us have been given the gift of salvation. All of us have the promise of heaven. And within the, this temporal realm here, uh, to each of us has been given different gifts of different preeminence and different, and different responsibility. That's really important what you say, because I think the modern understanding of things like diversity and equity and inclusion are and I'm not an expert on it, a lot of it is based on denying the fact that people have different skill sets and abilities. So I feel blessed to have the skill sets that God has given me, but I don't think that I should, if I earnestly desired, say, to be a fighter pilot, then there's a way to accomplish that. And I actually don't think that I would be successful because I don't believe I have certain gifts required to be able to achieve that. But if I earnestly desired it enough where I can just say, well, they can't discriminate <laughs> against me just because right. I'm probably terrible at math and I you know, don't know. I still I wear glasses and all kinds of other things. So I'm just going to climb into an F-15 and take off. I don't even know if that's the current airplane. But regardless, that's that would be trying to accomplish yep. something that you've not been given. In the same way, if you said, well, I earnestly desire to be the chief surgeon. There is a way to attempt to accomplish right. that. Perhaps you've been given the skill sets to do it. Maybe you haven't, and that's okay. But you can't just say, well, you know, you know, I'm going to go and just cut somebody open and see how it goes. And in the church, you know, if you are called to lead the congregation, there are skill sets required, uh, biblically set out. But there aren't the same skill sets for other vocations, which while equally necessary to the health of the body um, just require different skills. So it used to be we would acknowledge readily within ourselves and within others in kind ways that people 
have different abilities. And the Christian teaching, as you so eloquently put it out, that those things don't matter when it comes to our salvation, but there are different levels of what we accomplish together within the church as mm-hmm. individual members of the one body. And I'm not saying this is the case for all surgeons. I'm certainly not, nor am I saying this for anybody who is wealthy. But but often what we often see is that you know, those individuals that are given those great responsibilities often do so to the detriment of the other vocations that they've been given. I mean, the divorce rates for those, you know, and, and like I said, there's no statistical analysis that I have readily available for me. But, you know, with more responsibility often comes more, more, um, the more need of time, the more need of study, the more need of, and that's the wonderful thing is that, you know, I, I'm blessed. And I think Pastor Boo, you could probably say the same. In, in my vocation as a pastor, which often can require me to be away from home, um, you know, for birthdays, for, for any number of different events, um, that sometimes it requires me to be away. And I am so endowed and blessed beyond measure with a wife who understands that this particular vocation that may mean that her husband has to be away to see to the care of somebody who is in need in their hour of death, in their hour of, of, of despair, et cetera, so on. And once again, I think that begins to put it into perspective for us is that Paul puts this in order of greatest in the sense that we there is, there is much more that is required in many way, ways of these individuals who will be endowed with the ability to do so. But we also need to have those conversations, like I said before, with regard to the possibility of school. I'm not studying my doctoral degree, not because I don't have the aptitude or the ability, um, but because I realized that, you know what? No, God has given me another great gift, a, a, a spiritual gift that has maybe not been given to all, namely to be married and to be a husband. And he's been given me a gift of, 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 of a son and to be a father. And to understand that that then, you know, one, there's a multitude of gifts. It is clear in my finer moments that I can realize that I have been blessed beyond what I can even imagine by a God who loves me and has provided all these things free of charge for me um, so that I can be in my vocation as a pastor, the best pastor to serve those who are there, to be the best husband, namely not so that I can be served by my wife, and this is the beauty of vocation, but that I can serve my wife. And, and then also as a father that I can serve my son. And I think that gets us back to the nature of these gifts is to understand is that, you know, you know, I'm not looking <laughs> for a father of the year or a number one dad shirt, but sure, I'd wear one if my son gave me one. <laughs> but just because I wear the shirt does not make it so. Um, the reality is I am number one dad to my, to my son. And that's what matters the most. And Paul is, is I think, saying here too, the one that is mattering the most is the one who's the head of this body. And he is the one that bestows all these great gifts to all of you with no merit or worthiness on your behalf, but he does so simply because he is gracious and loving, requiring nothing but giving everything. It's beautiful. Well, if everyone in the church were apostles, then what would their function be? There <laughs> right. would be no one to reach out to. Yep. And and we you did clarify that in this case, apostles refers to a very specific office in the church, which no longer exists, which I find it amusing um, when I see oftentimes there are there are people out there who are not part of a, a larger church body, 
they've started their own church or they're part of a very small coalition of churches. And I was watching on television and a gentleman was up there preaching and he had like a preaching robe on, but then down the side of his arm in bright gold letters was the letters that spelled out apostle. <laughs> and that was his title. And it kind of, and it was sort of like in Packers colors. So I thought it was interesting that, you know, he, it's like, <laughs> he, I'm an apostle. And again, I don't know the gentleman from anywhere, but what I am saying is the apostles were an office that we could no longer aspire to. Sure. And by saying, well, I'm an apostle, essentially it's denying perhaps the real gift that gentleman had been called to. Maybe he'd right. been called by God to reach people as a, a pastor uh, or, or an evangelist, and those things are valuable. So why why? pretend to be something that God has not called you to. How do I say it? I heard it very simply put this way is that, you know, my identity and here, you know, Pastor Boo, what have we been talking about for the last 20 years in America? Identity, 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 identity. And and my goodness, and as you said so well, there there are individuals who will seize opportunities to use words that we know so well, but they hijack them. And so what, what individuals often mean now in terms of identity is, is very different than what it is that our Lord means. Because Paul is saying, no, your identity is made sure. Your identity right. is that you were once dead. You are alive. And your identity, Lord willing, as time goes on, are, is going to be understood so succinctly. What I love about Lutheranism is it's so simple. I just yeah. love how simple it is. I don't ever have to wake up in the morning and think, well, gosh, what am I going to do today? Because God has given me a wife. God has given me a congregation. God has given me my son. My mother and father, by the grace of God, are still alive and just celebrated their 47th anniversary, by the way. Uh, thanks oh, be to God. I have a sister, nieces, all sorts of things, friends and family. Pastor Boo, my life is rich beyond measure. And I only understand that simply because I understand very well the understanding of vocation. Speaking of vocations, though, within the church, verse 28, and God appointed in the church first apostles, yep. second prophets, third teachers, and then miracles and gifts of healing. Now, those are interesting and, and certainly debatable about, you know, and even among pastors, how we define a miracle or what we acknowledge as a miracle um, you know, so miracles today is an interesting topic in and of itself and could could contain we could uh, do a whole show just on that 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 word and and what it implies. But then the gifts of healing, which, you know, does that is that not the same thing as miracles or is this are we back to the surgeon? You know, he's been given yeah. gifts of healing and helping people. It's it's a fascinating thing because what I think Paul's doing there is, is he's you know as he articulates spiritual gifts Paul is 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 no is by no means being comprehensive so I think what Paul's doing in twenty eight is he's saying okay there's people and there's things and the guarantee of twenty eight is we know who is going to who has knit these people and given them an identity Christ. And we know specifically, this is by no means a comprehensive list because the, like you said, Pastor Boo, I mean, you know, we could, we could talk round and round all the day long with regard to what a miracle is. I've, I have plenty of pagan friends who don't even believe in miracles. Um, right. but, but the reality is, is Paul is saying, regardless of, 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 of who, well, who the person is, 
that may do this. And there will be persons who can. I mean, healing is probably one within the church where, you know, I mean, uh, a physician certainly can heal. Um, You know, uh, I can certainly heal as much as a pastor can, as any Christian could, in terms of bestowing forgiveness to a person who has sinned against us. That's healing in some ways, too. But the reality is, is Paul is saying, well, hey, here's, here's not a comprehensive list, but just so you know, miracles will happen, healings, helps, governments, diversities, and tongues. All these things are going to continue to be given to the church, and they're going to be given to, and this goes back to how Paul begins it. They will be given to each as God wills for his good purposes and for the purpose of his church. That's the point, is to say, you know, and the tongues part, I think that's so wonderful because, you know, oftentimes we think that it's, uh, you know, <laughs> we, we, we often think it's, uh, you know, something other than, you know, German or, or English or, or right. Japanese or, or, but, but no, Paul's saying here is that, okay, this, this tongue, these tongues will be given, which is going to say you dear Corinth, you're not the only ones to the whole world, to many people of different tongues and tribes and languages, diversities, and all these wonderful things, which then begins to put things into perspective for us today. We really think we want diversity, but Paul is saying, you already have it. You have a great cloud of witnesses, poor and rich and young and old of every color and race and creed, people of different backgrounds, people who have come from different settings, etc., so on, who will be knit into this church given the unity of confession and the beauty and the unity of salvation. And within that church, there will be so many, it's kind of like, you know, what you'll see with regard to the, the prophecy, you know, of Abraham, there will be so many that you can't even count them. And you're going to be smack dab in the middle of all that with all this stuff happening all around you by virtue of Christ who continues to give it each and every day. Paul ends this chapter with the words, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Brother, what's that more excellent way? <laughs> uh, the the excellent way. That's, I think, what I, we, how we look at it is to say um, what he's saying is he's not going to continue to reveal something we haven't known necessarily, but what he's going to do is per, in perpetuity until the last day, the excellent way Jesus Christ, our Lord, is going to be continually given to us that he that we might know that whatever we may face in our world, whatever we may face in our lives, that he is the one who comes to strengthen us and to give us life and to give us forgiveness. And he, he does this all within the church. So I think the excellent way is, of course, it's our Lord, but also this excellent way is he's going to give it within the confines of the church, first and foremost by baptism then by the Lord's Supper, and through the preaching and the teaching of the Holy Word of God. I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Adam DeGroat, pastor of Calvary Lutheran Church in Rio Rancho, New Mexico. Thank you, Pastor, for being on the show. I hope to have you on again. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you, too, dear listener, for tuning in to Thy Strong Word. I've been your host, Pastor Phil Boo. Tune in tomorrow as we continue in 1 Corinthians with chapter 13, the love chapter. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.